The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By 374 Water, pioneering a new era in sustainability. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Interra, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. By Xylem, let's solve water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. And by Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water. This is session 220. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. Well, I hope everyone's having a great week and we have a terrific and timely show for you today. As many of you know, the EPA recently released its proposed rule that designates PFAS as a hazardous substance under CERCLA or the Superfund. And that recent announcement caused me to accelerate today's podcast release, uh, and we are excited to welcome Mark DeZeus to the show. Mark is a Duke University professor and the head of technology at 374 Water. And so we recorded this episode well before the EPA's release of its proposed rule, so it doesn't impact the substance of our conversation but it explains why I don't ask Mark about the EPA's proposed rules. So just keep that in mind when you're listening. Uh, regardless, Mark's doing a fantastic job explaining supercritical water oxidation and its ability to treat wastewater and destroy PFAS. And before we get to the show, just a quick announcement. If you've applied for tra- the Transformative Water Leadership Academy, as Barb Martin discussed on our last podcast, and you'd like to apply for the Water Value Scholarship that covers travel and lodging expenses up to $2,000, please email me for an application. Again, my email address is david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. That's david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And I, if you ask me for the app, I will get it back out to you. We always thank our awesome sponsors at the top of the show. 374 Water, Woodard and Curran, Interra, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black and Veatch, Can Do, and Mentor APM. That, my friends, is a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry thought leadership and education. And thanks to you all. Uh, we love you, our sponsors here at the Water Values Podcast. And I'd like for you, the listener, to do me a favor to show support for those awesome sponsors. If you work for or with any of the sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks will go. So please reach out to those sponsors. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. That would be greatly appreciated and, of course, will help others find out about the podcast. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you make sure you stay current with the most recent episodes. Now it's on to our featured guest, Mark DeZeus of 374 Water, discussing 
supercritical water oxidation and its ability to treat and destroy PFAS and other emerging contaminants. So take it away. Let's get that water flowing. Well, Mark, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. It is great to have you on today. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, So I always start off, Mark, asking my guests about their background and how they came into the water sector. And I'm going to start the same uh, with you. So could you could you let us know about your background and how you came to the water sector? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for, for as far as I remember, I've always been an inventor. You know, I was always tinkering with things, uh, building new contraptions. Uh, and uh, I loved chemistry. Uh, and so when it was time to decide where I was going to what I was going to uh, study, uh, chemical engineering was was my thing. Uh, and it's not so much, you know, just water, but it's all problems, problems that matter to people. Uh, and um, so when I became a, a faculty, I took my first faculty position at the University of California in Riverside. I developed a program where we were looking at uh, pollution control, air pollution control, um, water, wastewater, uh, solid waste. Um, and so that's how I got uh, into water and and. and Really, I think one of the major drivers for me is uh, to work on important problems and uh, impact the lives of people. Um, many, uh, about a decade ago, is um, when I first uh, started receiving uh, funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, and uh, it was an eye opening for me to look at the problems that. Uh, people have around the world, uh, you know, revolving a- around water and uh, sanitation. Uh, and this is really when uh, I started uh, developing this program that led to um, the technology that we, we're going to be talking about today, mostly the supercritical water oxidation. Great. Um, but yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, I, the, my next question is just kind of what, what are you doing today? I mean, you've, you've provided a fascinating background, but w- where has that led you? So we, um, in, as, as a professor at the university, we always look for, you know, what is the next big thing and uh, where can we find funding? And I mentioned the, the, the Gates Foundation. Uh, and around 2012, they started this program this, um, uh, that, that several people will, will recognize, the Reinvent the Toilet, and they were looking at sanitation issues around the world. Um, and I pitched some ideas, um, and uh, one idea was a was a new self-sustaining toilet uh, that um, uh, you know would work without any power input. And other ideas were uh, this uh, high pressure, high um, uh, temperature uh, treatment that we call supercritical water oxidation. So those were some of my most recent passions. Uh, looking at uh, new ways that um, we can treat wastewater residuals. Great. So uh, supercritical water oxidation, you've mentioned that a couple of times. It sounds like something that is going to get the stain out of my laundry. Uh, but <laughs> what could you explain what exactly supercritical water oxidation is? Yes. Yeah. I like how you say, you know, the stain out of your laundry. I mean, it will make your laundry disappear. Um <laughs> And um, so let, let's let's dive a little deeper in in uh, supercritical water oxidation and, and define what what supercritical water is. Uh, it is it is something that is this is really fascinating. You know, we're used to think of um, 
water as being either, you know, a solid, a liquid, or a gas, a gas, you know, like vapor, uh, ice, uh, or, or liquid water. There's actually a fourth uh, state of water, which is the supercritical water. When you take water uh, and you heat it and you compress it to the extreme, and that's why sometimes I call uh, supercritical water oxidation the pressure cooker on steroids. Um, and I'm talking here about 374 degree um, C and 220 times atmospheric pressure or, or in non-metric uh, units, 705 degrees Fahrenheit and 3200 PSI. Water becomes supercritical. It's a hybrid between gas and a liquid. And it's extremely interesting because water becomes extremely reactive. It also um, becomes a universal solvent for organics and oxygen. And it's a little bit jargony, but, but in supercritical water, organics will react extremely fast. And um, uh, you can do all kinds of, of reactions uh, extremely fast. Uh, and um, the idea that I was pitching to the Gates Foundation was, well, let's explore if we can use supercritical water oxidation to uh, treat fecal sludge or, you know, the residues uh, of, of sanitation. Um, and uh, let's explore this idea and see whether uh, it, it can be done. Right. And so how uh, what happens next? You know, you've, you've pitched the idea. How has yeah, we, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. How, 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 what I think you were getting ready to take off and just explain exactly where we've come yeah. since you pitched this idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I pitched the idea. They later admitted that they thought it was kind of crazy, <laughs> uh, but they had, they had the vision and the trust in, in, in my ability to, to do something with it. So we received the first grant in 2013. It was about a million dollars. Um, and went on to uh, design a pilot system. Uh, and I think the originality of what I was pro proposing was not to do some lab studies, but was to take all the research that was existing at the time. Uh, supercritical water oxidation had been invented around the, the 1980s uh, at MIT. Uh, and it was later picked up by the Department of Defense to do nerve agent destructions. Uh, but it remained a kind of a, a niche application with a lot of issues when it was taken from the lab to a larger scale. So there was a lot of issues with commercialization related to uh, the cost and uh, some technical challenges. And so what I what I pitched is the idea of taking everything that was existing and try to address the technical challenges that uh, others had encountered and overcome these at scale. And so one of the first thing we did was to build a 20 foot container. And of course, you know, it's more complicated than that, but we designed a unique system um, taking the best approaches that had uh, been proposed. And so over the following years, um, you know, we designed a system, we built a uh, the system, and um, the question morphed from, you know, can we do it to how can we do it better? How can we make it cheaper? How can we make this technology more reliable? Um, 
And of course, you know, we received uh, follow-on funding and subsequent grants leading to uh, now it's time to make it ready for commercialization. And um, that was around 2017, 2018. And this is when uh, with a lead engineer in uh, my lab, uh, Kobe Nagar, we decided to uh, create this um, uh, spin-off company, 374 Water, 374 for the temperature at which water becomes supercritical, that uh, would license the technology from Duke University and, and commercialize it. So that's the path that this, this original idea had from, from conception to uh, tech demonstration, de-risking to, uh, to commercialization. Got it. Now, you, you're you're approaching the commercialization stage. What applications were you targeting? I, I assume that kind of uh, you, you mentioned the fecal waste streams, but what what are the applications that are best suited for commercialization of supercritical yes, yeah. water oxidation? Yeah, for, for, for supercritical uh, water oxidation to work best, it, it really it really the, it, it it addresses uh, mostly it, it, it's best suited. Um, for the more concentrated wastes. Uh, we're not talking here about taking, um, you know, thin dilute uh, sewage, uh, but it's more the residuals at the end of the traditional treatment, what we call biosolids. Uh, current treatments uh, are uh, producing a, a, this, this uh, thick organic uh, residue at, at the tail end that we call biosolids. Uh, and because of the nature of the process, because of the fact that it, we need to heat the waste and compress it um, and collect the heat of reaction, recover the resources, the supercritical water oxidation lends itself best for the more concentrated waste. So we're talking here about uh, those biosolid residues or animal manure that hasn't been diluted with tons of uh, flush water like you know we, we do in our homes, you know, flush and, and, and forget. Um, and um, concentrated um, uh, chemical waste uh, or waste, and, and I'm sure we'll touch upon these uh, in a little bit of time, waste that um, are so difficult to treat that they warrant a little extra cost, maybe by you know adding a co-fuel to uh, make it work in supercritical water oxidation. Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive that you want the concentrated waste uh, rather than the, uh, the, you know, the, the diluted waste. Cause when I think of supercritical water oxidation, I, I naturally think of kind of a more, more liquid state. Um, so yes. Uh, yeah. Well, we can talk a little bit about what biosolids are. You know, I mentioned biosolids a couple of times um, a few minutes ago. So, you know, if we think about what happens when, you know, we, we flush the toilet or, you know, water from our showers, et cetera, goes, down the sewer and reaches the, the wastewater treatment plant. There's a number of operations there, physical and chemical um, and biological operations that um, that are happening. And um, those are those are designed for for fairly dilute uh, waters. And at the very end is this um, uh, this this residue that uh, is called biosolids. Um, it is concentrated, but yet it's still about 85% uh, water. So what happens with biosolids, the way it's traditionally been uh, 
uh, handled is it contains a lot of nutrients, you know, nitrogen, phosphorus, and and some stabilized organics. Um, and so it's generally land applied uh, as a fertilizer, but for very spe- there's very specific criteria under which uh, they can be land applied uh, to ensure safety. Uh, and uh, it has a fertilizer value. There's no there's no question about it. Or in some cases, um, uh, uh, probably about seventy percent, I think, is is land applied, and thirty to forty percent goes to landfills. The um, the issues that we're starting to realize is that there are in um, in biosolids there are a number of things that are uh, not desirable to return to the land. Um, and or is not desirable to have it what is called landfill leachate is what you know comes out the the juice the nasty juice that comes out of of landfills and i'm talking here about recalcitrant organics uh things that are that, that are wastewater treatment systems are not designed to to remove i'm talking about antibiotic resistant bacteria uh compounds that affect the health uh, um, of people endocrine disrupting compounds, hormones, and these sorts of, um, of organics that we are only now beginning to understand that they have uh, an impact. And as a result of this, uh, there is uh, increasing pressure to not do land applications. Uh, and it's increasingly um, uh, difficult to find landfills that will accept uh, biosolids for for those reasons, because of these emerging contaminants, but also because of what I mentioned earlier is that biosolids is mostly water, and landfills do not like to have um, too water too much watery compounds uh, uh, and materials enter the landfills um, because it fills the landfill with with water. It results in more in more leachates that later on needs to be um, be needs to be treated, and this is where. Uh, supercritical water oxidation uh, has an edge uh, because we can install our units directly at uh, wastewater treatment plants, uh, treat those biosolids, recover some uh, resources at uh, the source. Yeah. So let, can you talk a little about the treatment? Um, what? So the, the sludge comes out Yes. Do you, I assume you take it before it goes through any sort of uh, dewatering process, like a belt press or something like that. We uh, we actually take it. Uh, we can take it from different points, but it needs to be partially dewatered uh, before we can treat it in our supercritical water oxidation units. Because even even dewatered um, uh, sludge or or biosolids, as I mentioned, uh, contains. A vast majority of, of, of water can be, as I said, you know, 80, 85 uh, percent water and, and still feel like, you know, it looks like a dried material. But there's a lot of uh, what we call bound water. It's water that is, you know, as as hard as you might compress a, uh, a cake in a belt press, what comes out might still be 80 percent um, uh, water. So we take that. Um, we, we can take uh, any organics, either, you know, primary sludge uh, secondary sludge, uh, digested sludge after um, mild dewatering, typically for us, you know, 85% water or, you know, 15% uh, dry solids content generally is is around the sweet spot. And that can be fed 
directly into the supercritical water oxidation process. We call it air squo. Uh, and um, and then and then uh, be processed. The uh, the resulting stream from the uh, air squo process is clean water uh, of distilled quality water, and so can be reused. And then we recover uh, minerals uh, from the um, from the treatment, uh, inorganic uh, minerals. So the the residue, which is only a fraction of a percent of uh, what comes in, uh, something like two percent of the volume of what is being fed to the units, is the uh, the inorganic minerals um, uh, can be recovered, and you know this is where it's it's really interesting in the context of resource recovery. Uh, we recover uh, heat, and that heat can be transformed into electricity to to run the machine, or uh, some heat can be integrated in, in into HVAC for the facility, uh, or electricity can be returned back to the grid. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the, uh, the, the resource recovery angle and using waste heat, uh, and, and, and all that. So, and you answered, uh, one of my primary questions was, you know, what, what comes out on the other side and it's, you know, the, the vast majority is clean water that I assume it's going to, in most cases or in all cases, meet an NPDES permit or something of that nature. Yes. And it will depend on the context uh, and it will so uh, and and the location, the local regulations. You know, we envision these systems to be, you know, not only at wastewater treatment plants, but you can you can imagine these being at animal farms. Um, confined animal feeding operations are are producing massive amount of manure that generally are in uh, uh, lagoons. Uh, but also, you know, imagine those systems being uh, in cruise ships and. Uh, emergency situations, in refugee camps, uh, a number of applications. So uh, how uh, the water is dealt with at, at the tail end will depend on these on these contexts. I often I often get asked, you know, is this water, you know, potable water? And, you know, with minimal polishing, a little bit of um, uh, conditioning, this water can be made uh, um, potable. Uh, we're not particularly... Uh, pitching that as you know the toilet to tap because um, people are quick to to latch on to that, but but it is possible. It is technologically possible. But we can think of different grades of water. You know that that water can be used for for irrigation, for dust control, for other uses. Um, be piped into most uh, wastewater treatment plants. Will have uh, industrial water uh, at their facilities can can be returned there. Yeah, the the minerals. I, I should talk a little bit about the, the minerals that that come out are interesting because, as, as I mentioned, you know, the, this solid fraction is completely inorganic, mm -hmm. so we don't have to deal with the issues that I mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, stabilization of organics and um, uh, other such issues. But the minerals are high in phosphorus. Uh, and this is very interesting in in today's context. The nitrogen, by the way, nitrogen is lost is lost to the to the atmosphere, which is produced nitrogen gas. Uh, that's unfortunate, but that's uh, uh, an attribute of the technology. Uh, but as I mentioned, the, the 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 solids contains all the phosphorus, and um, I think most of you, or probably many of your listeners, know that phosphorus is a finite resource. There will be a day where we the world will run out of phosphorus phosphorus is being mined uh and um 
And so there are many um, incentives to recover phosphorus. In fact, Germany is implementing uh, mandatory phosphorus recovery on uh, their wastewater treatment plant. So we get a lot of traction. We get a lot of interest um, for the minerals that we produce when we treat uh, biosolids uh, because they have about 20% of their mass is, is phosphorus. Got it. I love everything you've said. What about emerging contaminants? Because there's a lot of talk about, uh, for example, PFAS, PFOA, things of that nature. Yep. I mean, is... And and you had mentioned, you know, that that some states are not allowing land application because there are certain things that that are returned. I I know one of my partners in Maine sent me an article about how Maine was not allowing land application uh, because of specifically because of PFAS uh, uh, in yeah. for, for certain for certain uh, things. And so, can you talk about emerging contaminants and how supercritical water oxidation impacts or doesn't impact them? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. I'd love to talk about that. So by now, most listeners would have heard about PFAS. These are the perfluorinated uh, compounds that have been manufactured for uh, 20 plus years. Uh, they widespread in the manufacturing of Teflon. And also we find those uh, extensively in um, uh, firefighting uh, media. And what is now um, obvious is that those compounds, those PFAS, are very recalcitrant to degradation in the environment, uh, and they're bioaccumulative, uh, but also cause trouble at extremely low concentrations. And um, what we found that is amazing is that supercritical water oxidation actually destroys PFAS. And what I mean by destroying it, it breaks one of the strongest bonds in the in, in known to chemistry, which is the carbon to fluorine uh, bond. Uh, and this thereby uh, releasing the uh, fluorine as uh, fluoride. So we really mineralize uh, PFAS. We're destroying the uh, the different PFASs, uh, resulting in in complete uh, treatment. And so uh, it is extremely interesting in that context because um, folks that are dealing with PFAS waste are looking at a permanent solution, not just putting. PFAS waste in landfills where it will find itself uh, into the leachate, um, but are looking for solutions that can really uh, destroy and mineralize uh, PFAS. And uh, supercritical water oxidation is is one of the few technologies that can do that. Uh, you mentioned that supercritical water oxidation can, can, you mentioned it's one of the technologies. Are there other technologies that can destroy PFAS and break that, that carbon... The yeah, there are, there are there are other technologies. In my in my opinion, none of these come close to uh, supercritical water, water oxidation. And I'll uh, elaborate a little bit on on that. Um, for instance, there's a technology called electrochemical uh, treatment. You're putting electrode in electrodes in water. Um, the best electrodes are mixed metal oxides or boron doped diamond electrodes. Those are fancy terms for advanced electrodes that. Uh, will create very reactive um, uh, species. Now, the issue with electrochemical treatment is it is that it doesn't treat all PFAS. Um, as, as, as you know, PFAS um, includes thousands of compounds. Uh, and with electrochemical uh, treatment, not all of these are, are treated. Some of these uh, stalls. 
uh, or sometimes you even get a formation of nastier PFAS or 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 co-contaminant like perchlorate that uh, are worse than the ones that you started with. Uh, electrochemical treatment is also very energy intensive, and it's um, severely affected by co-pollutants you might have and makes it even uh, more expensive. And electrochemical treatment cannot deal with um, uh, solids. For instance, one of the technologies that um, is widely used to remove PFAS from drinking water, so very low concentration, is absorbing the PFAS on uh, granular uh, or powdered activated carbon uh, or on ion exchange resins. And then what you want is to treat these, uh, these resins. Uh, electrochemical uh, treatment cannot uh, treat those uh, those resins. And then I'll mention another uh, treatment technology, which is called cold plasma. Um, this is a, a sort of arc discharge. You think of lightning, but at, at, a, at a low temperature. Um, and uh, it's, it's very reactive in the actual arc. And you can imagine all sorts of reactions that can happen in these very high energy um, phases. But these are very localized reactions. And uh, as you can imagine, those reactions are in, in the gas phase, but the PFAS is in, in the water. And it's uh, then all kinds of challenges to try and bring the PFAS close to the reaction, close to these arcs. And um, it suffered, cold plasma suffers from some of the same issues that I mentioned for electrochemical treatment. It doesn't work for all PFASs very energy intensive um, and it's unclear if it might generate actually some some uh, gaseous uh, species of PFAS uh, that uh, people are concerned with. So so, so these are some of the com- uh, other technologies and some of their uh, disadvantages. Yeah. So does supercritical water oxidation have any limitations or, or disadvantages itself? Yeah, I mean, there are some some intrinsic limitations that I mentioned earlier. Um, it lends itself best, best for, for the more concentrated wastes. Um, but also, we need to be able to pump the uh, anything that we will treat with supercritical water uh, oxidation at those high pressures that I mentioned, you know, 220 times atmospheric pressure. It takes a, a big syringe pump or, you know, what we call positive displacement. So any waste that contains excessive sand or solids, it's going to be a challenge. For currently, we cannot treat soil. Uh, we have ideas uh, that we have in our R&D uh, pipeline, but treating soils uh, and treating things, uh, waste that have excessive grit uh, remains a, um, a challenge. Got it. Got it. Uh, what about other emerging contaminants? Does, is, is supercritical water oxidation effective at, at handling other yeah. aspects of this? Supercritical water oxidation is this omniprocessor, and it's truly amazing, as I mentioned, uh, because of the, the the properties and the mechanisms of uh, supercritical water. It will treat any co-contaminant. So not only you know the biosolids and and the organics, not only the pathogens, but it will co-treat uh, PCBs. It will co-treat one uh, four dioxane. It will treat all of these organics. Even the more the most recalcitrant, as um, you know, exemplified by uh, PFAS, and um, so it it is it is really a transformative technologies uh, in in this sense. <clears throat> is that 
any any waste stream that is being that will be fed uh any organics in in that waste stream will be uh destroyed and similarly uh mineralized very interesting very interesting stuff so let me ask you this about commercialization if supercritical water oxidation is good at all these things you know how how is the commercialization effort going because pfos isn't isn't there? There are no regulations in force right now, on, from at least from EPA. How, how are yeah. how, how is it being responded to without that regulatory pressure? Yeah, well, we we see a lot of traction. You know, I, countless people have told us, especially you know senior people say, "Oh, you know, I've been waiting for this moment for for a long time." I've always believed that supercritical water oxidation, you know, was this. Uh, extraordinary technology. I'm so happy that you've reached that point. So we see enormous traction from from various directions, not just PFAS, but you know the biosolids industry, people who look at what this technology can do, and uh, you know imagine how what it can do for for their application. And I mentioned you know just a few uh, earlier. So we see we see enormous enthusiasm. Uh, uh, you know about uh, our offering and and when we are with 374 water as as a, a you know the technology the deployment uh and commercialization the um we're, we're at the stage where there's also a lot of people who are just waiting to see the first systems uh being installed and uh because for a lot of people you know seeing is believing uh, and so they want to. They will be happy to be, you know, first to be second. Yeah, uh, yeah. We anticipate this to be towards the end of this year, twenty twenty two, is when we'll have our um, first commercial system be operational uh, as a six wet ton a day uh, system, uh, which is a small application for um, uh, wastewater treatment plant, but could be a full scale application for some of the other applications that I mentioned. A, a PFAS or or uh, destroying uh, sorbents that have PFAS uh, uh, on them or specialty chemicals. Got it. Well, it sounds exciting. It sounds very exciting, and I cannot wait to follow and track uh, your your endeavors in the commercialization efforts. Mark, job well done. Great to hear from you. Thanks so much for spending time with us. For those who want to hear and find out more about supercritical water oxidation, your efforts, and 374 Water, where can they go to get that information? So they can go to our website, 374water.com, uh, and they can also follow us on social media, uh, on LinkedIn and, and Twitter, to get the, the latest news and uh, be informed about um, what is happening uh, with us in supercritical water. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been terrific. And I have learned so much about supercritical water oxidation. It, uh, it, it's, it's mind boggling, frankly. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you very much. You bet. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Mark. Bye. Mark did an absolutely amazing job on that interview, and I cannot wait to see how 374 water takes off, especially after the EPA issued its proposed rule that designates PFAS as a hazardous substance under CERCLA. So I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for the info and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast, click the first link that comes up. That's our home on the web that Bluefield Research is kind enough to provide 
Again, the Water Values LLC and Bluefield Research LLC are not affiliated entities. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. And as part of that joint marketing arrangement, Bluefield provides us a home on the web. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com and you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page as well. Again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you'd like to apply for the Water Value Podcast, Water Values Podcasts Scholarship for the Transformative Water Leadership Academy, please email me about getting an application. And again, my email is david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you again to our fantastic sponsors. Sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include 374 Water, Woodard & Curran, Intera, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, CanDo, and Mentor APM. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thank you for listening and subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. I truly appreciate it. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.